are welcome. We are in the process of doing a Bible overview. <coughs> and this week we're in the second part of our mini journey through Kings. So last week we did um, King Saul, who was the people's choice. This week we're going to be looking at King David, God's choice. He's great, but he's flawed. <clears throat> and yet, a wonderful example of a greater king that is to come. I wonder if I should pray now. Yeah, let, let me take the opportunity to pray now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for its synchronicity. Thank you, Father, that it's one story and that <clears throat> it all particularly specifically points to one person who's the hero of the Bible. Um, Lord, would you help us as we continue to journey through um, this big story, this meta-narrative, and help us, Lord, not just to understand greater, the bigger picture, but also appreciate, <clears throat> Lord, how we play a part in this amazing drama. And um, Lord, help us to get in where we fit in, and that, Father, it would bring glory to your name, and um, Lord, great joy to our hearts because you're our fulfillment. It's in Jesus' name we pray as we ask for your help, Lord. Amen. 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 Very recently, there's been this explosion in terms of interest with regards to box sets, right? And <clears throat> one of my, one, one, I don't even know if it's actually a box set. I don't know if, it's, if, it, if it fits into that criteria as yet, but one of the ones that I like, rightly or wrongly, um, is, is, is Lufa. And I don't know if you remember when it first came out, those of you that ain't seen it. If you ain't seen Lufa, then hey. You know what I mean? Um, but I remember the first series, apparently the guy who wrote it, he kind of got a one-off. I don't know if it's from the BBC or whoever screened it first, right? He got like a one-off. And so he put everything into this one-off. <laughs> so the man, I don't want to kill it for you, but he pretty much had all these amazing characters and he murdered off like the whole of the characters them in, in the first series. And then it w went so well, they must have turned around and said, hey, we want another one. And it was like, oh my gosh, but I like murdered off all of the main, <laughs> not the, the main character, but, you know, and, um, but anyway, they went into a couple more seasons and... <clears throat> Apparently now, for those of us that are Lufa fans, they're, they're one, they're working on a film, and they're now looking at doing a season of prequels. So they're going to go back before the first one. Hey! You know what I mean? And, and, and those of you that are into this, or your box sets, you know what I'm saying? It's like, the thing about them is, <clears throat> we just don't, we don't want the story to end. You know what I mean, Kane? You know what I mean, bro? We, we, don't, we want more and more and more. And some people will sit down and watch 10, 10 episodes back to back. You know what I mean? When they get a bank holiday weekend. You know what I mean? And because, because we just, we love a story. And, <clears throat> you know, can I suggest that if you don't already know that the Bible is the biggest, like, box set series. And it's funny, isn't it? We're getting excited about them past five years or ten years. How long has the Bible been around? And it's a story that is so expansive. You know what I'm saying? And it has a start, like a good story. It has a middle and it has an end. But it's funny, even when the Bible ends, it still don't end. I mean, how much better than that can you get? 
<clears throat> we've been trying to communicate the fact that our Bible overview is highlighting two things. One, as I just mentioned, it's a big story and it's one story. It all fits together. But then also, like every good story, it's got a hero. You know what I mean? And the hero of the Bible is Jesus. And you might be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, but he comes in the end part of the Bible, in the New Testament. <laughs> Actually, he's all over the Bible. He's right from the beginning of the Bible. <clears throat> and, 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 and we're, we're trying over, the, over the, the duration of this Bible overview to help us to see that. <clears throat> now, four weeks ago, we were in the book of Judges. And in Judges, the big thing was there's no king in Israel. Well, three weeks later now, <laughs> although it was a couple of centuries over that time, there now is a king in Israel. <clears throat> and, and it's, who, who, did, who, did, who did we get introduced to last week? King Saul. And there'll be multiple subsequent kings in Israel. Um, kings, it's like a bit like Game of Thrones. I never watched Game of Thrones, but I suspect it's... And I'm similar in the sense that you've got people get ascending to the throne, descending, people getting marked, and you know what I'm saying, people getting like greedy and money and all of that stuff. <clears throat> and so there's now this king in Israel. Um, <clears throat> but this king Saul, and even the king that we're going to talk about today, David, is actually pointing um, to an ultimate king. There's going to actually be one fundamental king in Israel. And he will be known as not just the king, but the king of all kings. Now, last time we looked at a bad example of a king um, <clears throat> who was the people's choice. And sh should I read through this? I'm not sure that I will. Um, apart from verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And it says, and the Lord told him, maybe I'll read it. But, they, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they've rejected but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. Like, give them what they want, isn't it? But warn them solemn, solemnly and let them know that what, what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Verse 10 says, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking him for a king. So from verse 7, you can see who the real king is and always to be, which is God, Old and New Testament. So Saul was the, the people's choice, a bad example of a king. <clears throat> this week, we're going to look at a better example, albeit not a perfect example, David. King David. This week, we're looking at <clears throat> just a few aspects of David's life for obvious reasons, <clears throat> and especially as it relates to these other kings and how it relates to the ideal or the perfect and the ultimate king, which is Jesus. And we're going to look at three points, God's selected king, God's protected king, and God's promised king. <clears throat> so first of all, God's selected king. In contrast to Saul, right? Now remember last week, um, what did we say the New Testament word for anointed actually means, if you remember? And Christ, it means Christ, right? It means Christ, or Christ literally means the anointed one. That's what it means. Jesus, when you see Christ, it means Jesus, the anointed one. 
<clears throat> and this anointing, before we read it, is a ceremony that Israel went through that they, that, that, that they used to identify their king. It, it seems like a bit of a silly, you know what I'm saying, ceremony, but I feel a lot of ceremonies, when you kind of look at them, you take a step back, they look a bit silly, you know what I'm saying, but ceremonies they are, you know, traditions, what have you. <clears throat> and this is how they choose, this, this, is, this is what they do once they've chosen their king um, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. what I just read. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Right? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears it? He's going to kill me. Now remember, Saul is currently the king. So for Samuel to go around anointing the next king when the king is already in place is going to be a problem for Samuel, especially if you know anything about Saul, right? And the Lord said, take a heifer with you. I've got a plan. And, and have come to the sacrifice that is Jesse to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what you should do and you shall anoint for me. Now, see that word again? Anoint for me him whom I declare to you when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Remember, that's what they did with Saul previously. Because I have rejected him. That is this particular son. It's not Eliab. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It says, then Jesse... Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, <clears throat> neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, you know what? <laughs> either you got another son somewhere or I've missed God. You know what I mean? The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Verse 11 says, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of all of your sons here, and he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. Like, sounds like, well, he's in, surely he's insignificant, right? And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, this is, this is encouraging because we know that Saul was handsome. The impression you might get now is, okay, well, the Lord looks on the outward appearance. He ain't looking at the, the, at the outward appearance. So that means that the next king ain't going to be very good looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you've got this whole drama about or only people who are not good looking, quote unquote, are you, uh, 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 only people who are not good looking are used by God. Obviously, this smashes that to pieces. David's a good-looking brother as well. It's complicated, isn't it? it kinda, it's, it's like, okay, you see two people and they look the same. How do you choose? Well, as far as this is concerned, it's really about the heart more than it is the appearance. Um, <clears throat> so he sends for him, verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Um, and, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. <clears throat> so... Bear in mind that anointing business because we're going to come back to it. But my point is Saul is rejected. David is selected. 
Okay? You see that? <clears throat> now, with the anointing, again, it's this, this horn is filled with oil, pouring it over the head. And <clears throat> in Israel, there are two people that were anointed with oil. One of them is the priest, and one of them, as I mentioned, is the king. And the king is the king is always anticipated to be the one who would represent God to the people. And over a process of time, Israel constantly were looking for a king that would be the one who would fulfill all of the promises, failing none. And they anticipated this king by looking for a Messiah. If you like, the word Messiah is really synonymous with the word, word, with the word king, with the word anointed one. <clears throat> and there's this anticipation that he would come and lead God's people. Now, you remember we said from the beginning of Genesis, um, God said there would be an individual who would overcome the, the serpent in the garden. And from them, there's this anticipation building. Could it be, you know what I'm saying, um, Ab Cain or Abel? It's obviously neither of them. One gets killed and one's a bad guy. Then could it be Seth? Could it be Noah? Could it be, um, and as we, as, we, as we travel through the storyline of the Bible, there's always this anticipation, could this be the one? Now you've got this series of individuals called kings and there's this anticipation that, okay, well, the king is going to be the person based on um, particular verses of prophecy in the Old Testament. I will look at one or two of them in a minute. But there's this anticipation that builds. Now, <clears throat> Israel are looking forward to this king, this Messiah, this anointed one. Now, look at the dynamic as both kings, that is Saul and David now, getting back to the story, come into contact with each other as the process of transition begins from Saul to David. So same chapter, verse 14 um, says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. We just heard that it rushed on David, but now it's departed from Saul. One's rejected, one's selected. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, like a guitar, old school guitar. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. In chapter 17, it will add identifying this person by saying that David was the son of a Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judea, in Judah. Now, do you remember from last week where King Saul came from or what tribe he came from? Benjamin, right? So he was never, never going to be the king, should have never been the king, because the king, um, <clears throat> where's the king supposed to come from? Genesis 49 verse 10, from Judah, <clears throat> Now, whenever Ephrathites are mentioned in Scripture, they're associated with the city of Bethlehem in Judah. The, the most famous mention um, of this particular era of Ephrathah is the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And if, before I put it up, I think some of you know the verse. Think about the fact that 
this is going to be a prophecy that's going to talk about someone who's to come, but he's going to be born in a particular place of a particular tribe. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, right? Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now there's a lot in that verse that we can't unpack. But <clears throat> I think what I'd like to highlight is again this promise this, if you like, this, this that contributes to the anticipation of this person that's coming. And obviously, we now, we now know, in it Because everyone's Einstein with hindsight. We look back and we see clearly who this is. But for them, they were looking forward through a glass quite dimly, right? But we know who this um, particular verse is speaking of specifically. Not just loads of kings, but one particular king, one particular messiah, one particular anointed one who would be born among the Ephrathites in Bethlehem. <clears throat> and it's obviously Jesus Christ, right? Jesus, the anointed one who fulfills this prophecy. And you can see that in Luke chapter 2. But getting back to Samuel, a little further in First Samuel chapter 16, it goes on. So Saul said to his servants, look, Provide for me, we said, a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. Listen to my man's um, um, CV. He's a man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech and a man of good presence. And to top all of that off, the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. You can see David is a man who's incredibly gifted, but notice where he is. He's with the sheep. You know what I'm saying? He's is is, is in this place of obscurity, and he's, to the, to the human eye, he's not necessarily the guy. Um, have, you know, it's funny because, you know, we, we all have gifts and talents to some degree. And sometimes a person's gifts and talents can be more apparent than another's. And sometimes, even as an individual, you might feel like, you know what, I've got these gifts and I've got these talents, and, but I need somewhere to showcase them. And I don't mean that in an off-key sense, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean genuinely, like, I've got, I, I got gifts, I want to use them. I want to use them for the Lord, you know what I mean? Not even for myself, you know. And <clears throat> but, but sometimes you find yourself in this place of obscurity, like, you know what I'm saying? My gift ain't really getting expressed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in this little church. How much, how much people in this church? Just a handful of people in this church. There ain't really no one here to see my gift, like, flourish. You know what I'm saying? There ain't, and, and forevermore, no one ain't even really identifying me in this small little tiny group. You know what I mean? And sometimes we can feel like that. But, you know what? <clears throat> Just be faithful where the Lord has you in it. You know what I'm saying? If, 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 if in the grand scheme of things, you know what I'm saying, all you're doing is, I don't know, serving in children's ministry. You might see that as a light thing. It's not a light thing. You know what I'm saying? Remember, we judge in one way, externals and big bang, wham, slam. You know what I'm saying? We see that and we're like, wow. And God's not really that impressed. You know what I mean? And um, it <clears throat> I just want to encourage you because I remember, like Pastor E sitting there, we never started off as pastors, and it's not even that pastors is a great and a grand thing and something to 
kind of fundamentally aspire to, unless that what, that's what God has called you to. But I'm saying, you know, I'm saying now we're kind of upfront and public, public, and all of that. Um, <laughs> how many years, Pastor E, did we do children's ministry and youth ministry? And I'm saying, eight. So eight years minimum, you know what I'm saying? Because we continue, we did children's ministry for years and then that transitioned into youth ministry and it was very often, it was a couple of kids in a youth group, two twos, us dragging out little speaker boxes in Leicester Square, you know what I mean? It was, it weren't nothing great and grand, you know what I mean? And, <clears throat> and I suppose all I'd like to say is, you know, the Bible says, humble yourself and the Lord will raise you up. That's what it says in James. In Peter, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will raise you up in due season. You know what I'm saying? So be encouraged. You just get on. You know, Be faithful. You know, the Bible says, he who's faithful in a little will be faithful in much. You know what that means also? If you're not faithful with a little, it don't matter how much of the big stuff you get. You're not, you're not going to be faithful. So where's the focus? You know what I'm saying? My man's looking after the sheep. But you know what? God goes to get him. And when God comes to get you, you know. The thing is, if you, make, if, if you promote you, then you have to keep on promoting you. Because if you don't promote you, who's going to promote you? Remember, you're the one that got you there. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But when God promotes you, you don't have to do nothing. You know, it's, not, it's not a grind. It's not a, you know what I'm saying? It's not. God will come and get you at the right time. Send me David, your son. Jesse. I mean, you know, Samuel's the big prophet. Imagine a big prophet coming to this little kind of backwater. And everyone's like, raw, Samuel's here. It's the, Samuel the prophet, you know. Where's he going? And two twos, they see one little, little crowd following him. And you know what I'm saying? And where's he going? Two twos, and here he comes, you know. Da, 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 da. He knocks on Zebedee's door. And I mean, everyone's like, ooh. You know what I mean? And, and then on top of that, David's not there. But God goes to fetch him. And he brings him out. I'm just trying to encourage you because we can sometimes have our focus in the, in the wrong place. You know what I mean? But God will come and get you when the time's right. And verse 20, and, the, and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Just incidentally, it's not in the story, but I'll just mention it because it works um, with what we've just said. When, when, when David gets sent out to the battle, which, will, um, which is pretty much what's coming up, this whole battle with Goliath. Whilst this whole thing is going on, the Bible says that Goliath is on the battlefield taking on the Israelites, right? And like everybody's there of quote-unquote notoriety. All the soldiers are there, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone who is anyone is at the battle. King Saul is there, and you know what I'm saying? And, and David's not there, but he's the man, right? If you know the story. But when, when his dad sends him to the battlefield, the Bible literally says before David got gassed and hyped like he he didn't just what the battle like i was wondering when eventually someone was gonna you know he doesn't do that the bible says he he gets the sheep and he gets an individual that's responsible and he asks that person who's responsible to take care of his sheep the bread is just you know what i'm saying wow you know what i'm saying he's responsible 
And, um, and he's faithful in the little things. So, uh, verse 20, And Jesse took a donkey, laden with bread and skin of wine, younger, and sent them by David, this is after he sorted out his business, um, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, which is weird because it's going to switch in a minute. And he became his armor bearer, and Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. So we begin to see the transition, this gentle, gradual shift if you like, of power. And you, you know what it's like. Whenever a new kid comes on the block, <laughs> it often causes a problem, right, for the old kid on the block. You know what I'm saying? You can't have two bull in a one pen, as they say, right? So God's selected king is going to begin to have problems with the rejected king, hence our second point, God's... Oh, did I read through so much? Oh, no, I never flopped. Don't worry about the overhead. God's protected king. So in this next chapter, um, 1 Samuel 17, it's the story now of David and Goliath. And without telling the story, or I may come back to it depending on time, um, we see God do what with David. He's the selected king, but what's God going to do in this battle with Goliath? God's going to protect him. He's also God's protected king. You know what I'm saying? God ain't going to select him and then not protect him, right? Another way we see God protect David was not just from an outside enemy, that is Goliath, but also from an inside enemy. Verse 22 of our last section of text said that David, we read, found favor in Saul's eyes, right? But not for long. At the end of chapter 17, where David slays Goliath, Saul begins to carefully scrutinized this boy David in ways that he didn't before. And within a short space of time, David goes from being loved to being loathed. Right? Now let us see if I got this. First Samuel 18. It says, And when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, notice, to meet who? To meet, no, to meet King Saul, right? To meet King Saul with tambourines, with, jo- with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And, and the, the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, if you're already a man who's got issues, that ain't gonna, that's not good therapy. Right, for you, in a, in a sense. It is and it ain't. It, it's from God's point of view, it is. It's good. Verse 8, it says, And Saul was very, not just angry, very angry. And this saying displeased him. And no doubt. You know what I'm saying? People are like, from the battle, and you know what I'm saying? Like, how's he feeling knowing that David is the one that slew Goliath? And he's the king. Right? And for time, David coming out, they, the Goliath come out, they're beating his chest. No one wants to fight Goliath. And then David comes after a long period of time and David takes out, like, how are you going to feel now? Car, all of the soldiers know Wagwan. You know what I mean? Now you're going to go into the city and these women coming, you know what I mean, like with their pom-poms, singing and shouting, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's like, yeah, everybody, we won the battle. Guess what? King Saul, yay. King David, yeah. I should have done it the other way around. Yeah, King Saul. Hey. 
And Saul was very angry. And he says, look, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? I mean, that's, I mean, that's a big jump. But because of the inclination of his heart, it's like any challenges to his rule or dominion is a problem. And it says, and so eyed David <laughs> from that day on. Verse 10, it says, The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. It's a really in interesting, intriguing picture, you know what I'm saying? Um, as, as he did day by day, Saul now had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him, not once, but twice. I wouldn't have gone back in there the second time if I was David. You know what I mean? Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in, in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. See that you can see that I painted you this picture of David and what he's like. You know what I'm saying? He's faithful, he's responsible. He ain't looking for glamour and glitz and you know what I'm saying, like the stage. Where Saul is the opposite. You know what I mean? He's the op he's literally the opposite in virtually every way. Now the rest of First Samuel sees David fleeing for his life, if you read through First Samuel. And it's funny because David is helped particularly by two people. Anybody know who helps him during this madness? One of them is Jonathan, who is Saul's son, who David and him become like, oh my gosh, like, you know what I mean? Like brethren's on another level. And then also David's wife, who is Saul's daughter. Her name's Michael, but she's a female, you know what I'm saying, guaranteed. And both of these two actually help David through this difficult period where, imagine the drama in Saul's house where his son has to be like, I'm with my dad and I love my dad, but dad, you know what I mean? It, you're really off key. You know what I'm saying? Really, David's cool. Like, what's your problem? You know what I mean? And there's going to be the angst. And then, you know, Saul with his daughter, you know what I mean? It's like, imagine like, I don't know, Christmas dinner. You know what I mean? And these are, this is real, isn't it? Like, we have these real issues within families that take place, particularly, I mean, generally speaking, you know what I'm saying? Because we're all sinners, but particularly when you've got someone in a family who's really off key. You know what I mean? I'm saying there ain't nothing new under the sun, you know what I'm saying, as far as this stuff is concerned. But again, it just relates to the fact that the Bible is a real book dealing with real people, you know what I'm saying, in a real world. Anyway, in the midst of David's desperate dilemma, in chapter 22, David gathers to himself a group of men who were, we refer to them, uh, I can't remember, but it's like the three Ds, you know what I'm saying? Those who are distressed, in debt, and discontented. <laughs> this is a rabble group of people, and they align themselves to David. You know what I mean? There's probably a lot that could be said about that with reference to um, David being a real picture of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm drawing people who are malcontent to himself. 
yet he himself is not malcontent. You know what I'm saying? So, and David, with this little band, this little army, this little guerrilla force, he saves this city called Keilah, um, who then, <laughs> he saves them, and Saul's coming, and like, he's there, and he's like, oh, this city, I, I, I help them, and Lord, surely they're going to protect me from Saul. The Lord's like, they ain't going to protect you, duck out. And it's true, they were going to pretty much give him over to Saul. David even has um, an opportunity at one point to kill Saul. Literally, Saul's sleeping and his army, all, the, all his men are sleeping. And David goes up right close to him and literally in, with a knife in his hand could have killed him. But he didn't. But he tore a little bit off his arm, his, 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 his coat, his royal robes. And I'm saying, and then from a mountain, when they all wake up, he's like, Saul. And Saul's like, who's that? And it's like, it's me, it's David. And Saul's like, he's really, he's really messed up. He's like, oh, David, my son. No, 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 sorry, tell a lie. He's like, David, argh! you know what I mean? And David's like, like, why are you trying to kill me? I ain't done nothing to you, I ain't hurt you. And da 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 David's like, I was right next to you like last night. I could have killed you, you know what I mean? And all your man, they were like, where's, is it Abner and jo Joab and all of them? Where, like, where were they? You know what I mean? And David turned, um, Saul turns around and he looks at them like, oh, yeah, where was you? You know what I mean? None of you never helped me. And he's like, David, my son, David. Like, Saul, he's a messed up brother. But my point is, David shows him mercy. You know what I'm saying? Even though this man is his, his arch enemy. And by the time you get to chapter 31, after a number of years being chased, Saul eventually dies. And even then, David has no ill intention to the dead Saul or, or, or even his household. You know what I mean? And even lamenting and then honoring Saul's um, descendants after Saul passes away. David's like, you know what? Saul was evil to me, but I won't hold it against him. You know what I'm saying? And then David's son, Jesus, in similar fashion, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you say that about those who sin against you? Or are you, am I, like Saul? I'm saying, now we, all, we all have an element of unforgiveness at times, don't we? We all have, <laughs> in marriage, we've like we, we done marriage matters last night and just talking about how hard sometimes it is to love others. And then have to say how hard sometimes it is to love my spouse, my husband or my wife. Now that should never be said, right? But that's the reality and it's because we're sinful. You know what I mean? We all have a, a streak of soul in us, don't we? And the solution is, you know, we need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. And then it's funny because even when you get your heart transplanted, spiritually speaking, the Bible still goes on to say you need your mind renewing. And that's really helpful because you sit there, you know what I'm saying, sometimes with a messed up heart sometimes, right? Or should I say some messed up thoughts in your mind. And, and it causes you to say, rah, has my heart actually been changed? You know what I mean? Um, but it has, if you've put your trust in Christ and turned away from your sins. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of what needs to happen is our mind needs renewing. You know what I mean? And, and you know, realistically, when it comes to, to loving others, the only way we can genuinely love others, especially when they're done ill to us, um, is when we ourselves have experienced God's love. The only reason 
that we can love is because he loved us first, right? First John. The only reason that we love is because he loved us first. So don't be plotting to get that person back, right? You need, you need a good dose of God's love. That's what you need. Now, def David is definitely, is definitely a man after God's own heart. David is, is God's selected and protected king. By the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is anointed, but this time, not just over Judah, he's anointed king over all Israel. And we see God provide rest for David and his newly established kingdom. Obviously, Saul is dead now, you know what I'm saying, and in ways that, that were never experienced before. But it's funny, as wonderful as he was, as wonderful as David is, there are two things about David. Number one, as I just highlighted, David, he's a sinner. You know what I mean? You don't see that kind of initially, like, whoa, this guy, like, whoa, this guy? Like, David is amazing, right? But David isn't squeaky clean. He has a horrible moral failure. He commits adultery. And then on top of that, he commits murder. You know what I mean? And again, wow, this is so helpful. I mean, it's one thing, I mean, you know, you can have in your mind sometimes as a Christian some dark thoughts. Am I on my own? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I mean? We can have some... <clears throat> and it's one thing to have the bad thoughts, but then it's another thing to carry out that act. Now, thankfully, the Lord preserves us from carrying out some of the mad thoughts that we have sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, but sometimes when that thought is deep enough, you know what I'm saying, and dark enough, Sometimes that stuff will spill out. Jesus literally says that. It, that's where that stuff actually starts. It starts in the heart. That's why we can't, we can't um, fertilize that stuff, you know. you know. You don't want friends around you when you're going through drama with someone. You tell them, you know what, this person, da, 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 and they're like, what? Well, you better go deal with that matter because who do they think they are? That's not a good friend. You know what I mean? Because they're just stoking that fire that's already raging in your heart. That's not good. You know what I mean? You want someone around you that's going to throw cool, cold water on that and, and help subside that and calm you down before you go do something reckless and end up ruining your life. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> but don't feel like you can't do such a thing. You know what I mean? And that's why we need help. I think I heard Pastor E preaching and talking about Peter. Um, it was actually in, well, I can't, yeah. Pastor E was preaching and talking about Peter. Remember that time where Peter was like, Lord, I never deny you. And I'm saying, I die before I deny you. And I feel like he genuinely meant that, but he never recognized his own weaknesses and his own sinfulness. And when push come to shove, you know what I mean? And um, we need to realize that about ourselves because um, it's one thing to, to take, is, is to think that you stand. Really, what you need to do is take heed that you may fall. You know what I mean? And we're all vulnerable to that. You know what I mean? And, and, and David never realized that at a particular moment in his life. And he commits adultery and then he commits murder. And what is crazy is he still recognizes a man after God's own heart. That's another, again, that's it. how helpful is that? You're like, raw, my heart's all wicked and dark. You know, God, how could God, God ever love me? Well, look at David. 
well, have you committed adultery and gone out and murdered somebody? You know what I'm saying? Now, you may have done that. But even if you have done that, there's still mercy. There's still mercy, man. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's one of them verses that you need on tap. You, you need to memorize that verse. You know what I mean? Because surely you're going to need to use it if you're anything like me quite often, multiple times a day. Proverbs 28. I don't know if you've heard this one for a while. I remember memorizing this 20 years ago. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, I want mercy. You know what I mean? I want God's mercy, man. So it's good to quickly recognize those sins, confess them and forsake them. Be like, Lord, help me. I don't want to go down that road again. God will give mercy. Psalm 51, isn't it? Um, this is David writing this on the back of his sin. You know what I'm saying? And really, I mean, the whole chapter is incredible. <clears throat> and I think the Wynan's done a song of, it, of this chapter, an amazing song. Psalm 51, a few verses. David says, have mercy again on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And that's incredible because based on what he did, God's steadfast love must be broad and deep. Because that's, 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 a, that's a good, that, like, there are two really big things to get forgiveness for, adultery and murder. You know what I'm saying? It says a lot about God's steadfast love, doesn't it? According to your, not just mercy, you know, abundant mercy. Lord, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's First John 1, 9 right there. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions, you know. My sin is ever before me. Whether others see or not, I know my sin. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I got issues from the, you know, the Bible says we go astray from the cradle. We don't have to teach our kids. We have to teach our kids to say, um, thank you. You know what I'm saying? And please. You have to teach, but you don't have to teach them to say, let me teach you how to say no. You don't have to teach them to say that. Why? Because they go astray from the cradle. <laughs> so that's the first thing. David is a sinner, right? The second thing is about David, in conjunction with the fact that he's a sinner, is David doesn't fully fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham. So as amazing as he is, I'm showing you two reasons why he's not the one that we're waiting for. He's not the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? He's the king, but he's a substandard king. We have to look beyond him for the one that's going to rescue us. You know what I'm saying? And imagine seeing him slew Goliath the way that he did with just a, you know what I'm saying, a couple of stones, like one stone and a slingshot. You could easily think, oh, he's got to be the one. And I mean, how? How? But, it, but evidently, he's not the one. He doesn't fulfill the promises given to Abraham. David is a good king, but he's far from the perfect king. Therefore, he's incapable of being the ultimate king. Which brings us nicely to our third point. Does it? He is <clears throat> God's selected king. 
is God's protected king. But David, is he God's promised king? Well, he is and he isn't. Now, note chapter 7 because um, it's a key element in the salvation history narrative that is the big story. If you're watching the box set of the Bible, don't miss this episode. Because if you miss this episode, you're going to get to, I don't know, 10 episodes in. You'll be like, what's going on here? What's happening here? But when you've watched that episode, you're like, oh, that's why that and oh, that makes sense. Now, before we read that, <clears throat> what was the original promise that God gave to Abraham? Now, this is important because what we're trying to do is we're trying to stitch together these different parts of the Bible. So, anybody remember the three things that God promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12? Way back, way back here. In Genesis 12. I mean, we're in Samuel. And I'm saying Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first, second, Samuel. Look how far we've come. But way back in Genesis, what were the three things? Okay, let's read it. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land, that's the first thing, that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation too. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise. That is the covenant that God made. That is the Abrahamic covenant. Which, if you think about it, is really just a throwback to the garden. Remember, two people were in the garden, and God's desire is that they would become a great nation. Hence, be fruitful and multiply. Right? That was God's desire for them, but they flopped the thing, right? They're in, they're in a particular portion of land, the garden, but it's only a little bit of land, right? But God's desire was for them to do what? Was to go forth, multiply, and fill the earth, is what God said in Genesis. I'm telling you that the Bible's consistent, you know. You just have to be able to read it right. God's desire was always from the beginning to fill the earth with those who look like him, bearing his image. That was always God's purpose. And God says, look, don't eat from the fruit of the tree, Right? What's that? That's God saying, look, look how much, look, look how much um, freedom I give you. Eat from all of the trees, but there's one tree you mustn't eat from. You know what I mean? And that's God saying, I want you to enjoy yourself. I even want you to rule in a sense over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the animal, right? The animals have dominion, he says, but know that you have dominion under me. That's what that tree represents. That tree says, remember that I'm the king. And you had all of this before the fall, and in a sense, you could call that the kingdom of God. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, and God's blessing. You see that? And that's what, I'm going to fast forward. That's what we have today. How do we have that today? In this little church, not the building, because the building's not the church, the people are the church, right? Even our name, Ecclesia, is the Greek word for church. Those who are God's people that assemble for his glory, right? The church. How many of you know this is a little Garden of Eden? And how many of you know the church now, currently, is spread all over the world? 
Imagine God has got little gardens of Edens all over the globe with his people who look like him, his image bearers representing him all over the nations. And each one of those churches, gardens, right, are being governed by God, ruled by God, and blessed by God. And, and, and watch the consistency. You've got God's place in Eden. I think I've just tried to describe that to you, right? But then you've also got God's place in the ark. That is Noah's ark. Anywhere outside of the ark, you've you got, you got a problem. But if you're in the ark, you're good. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything was good. And the problem came when they sinned and they were expelled from the They were kicked out of the garden. You've got Eden, you've got the, and then you've got the tabernacle in the wilderness where God comes and meets with his people. It's a special place. And then you fast forward from the tabernacle as we've done. Now we're coming up to the point where now we're going to see the temple being constructed. Can you see these little places where God meets with his people historically? Can you see that? Right? In John 2, Jesus does something really incredible. Really interesting. In John 2, Jesus says, looking at the temple that's, that we're going to see built in a little while. We're not there yet because it's going to be built under Solomon. And we're, we're at David, right? David's son ain't come yet, Solomon, right? But the temple will be built. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is standing by the temple. Now, technically, it's been a rebuilt temple because the temple got leveled and it got rebuilt and so on. But Jesus is outside the temple in Jerusalem. And you know what he says? He says, destroy this temple. Now, how are you going to destroy the temple? I just painted a simple picture for you. You don't understand the significance of the temple for the Jews. Like, Jesus, Jesus destroyed this temple. They're like, what? First of all, that's a madness. And you hear the, the, the disciples say that later on as well. But it's like, destroy this temple, and then in three days, I'll raise it up. And now they really start laughing at him. In, initially, it's like, what are you talking about? Now they're, oh, you're, you're an idiot. Because how you, it took us 40-odd years to build this temple, Right? And then Jesus doesn't say, but oh, wait a minute, you guys misunderstand. Let me explain to you what I mean. It doesn't say that. But in parenthesis, in John 2, it says that. And it says that Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple, the brick-built temple. He was talking about what? His body. What we see happening here is Jesus basically replacing everything that this temple represents with himself. Jesus is now saying, Eden, don't worry about Eden. The ark, Noah's ark, don't. Massive temple is none of those things. Now, if you want to be safe, if you want to be saved, you need to be in me. In, you said in Christ. Thank you. That is now the place of safety. Can you see that? And if you want to be safe and secure... You want to run to the rock. It's Christ. He's the one now you need to be in to be preserved. Now, <clears throat> in 2 Samuel 7, and this is, thankfully, I don't have to go into this because Pastor E done a great job at doing 2 Samuel 7 um, a little while ago. And in 2 Samuel 7, this is that episode you can't miss. God 
gives David a new covenant to the point where it's branded now the Davidic covenant. And fundamentally, what it means is, or what it, what it illustrates is that God, David says, I want to build God a house. And the Lord's like, hmm, David, actually, I'm going to build you a house. But the funny thing about this house is, it's not a, it's not a, a brick built building, as I, as hopefully, as I try to explain, although it seems like that. So in 2 Samuel 7, it says, from the time that I appointed judges over my, over my people Israel, it says, and I will give you um, rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, David, after you, right, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. You hear that? And there's a double meaning here because his son, who is, who's David's son? Solomon is going to build a temple, an incredible temple. And this is talking about that, but it's not just talking about that. Have you ever heard of telescopic prophecies? So, you know, a telescope, some of the old school ones, you, you, you had to pull them out to make them work. And basically what it is, when you look, at a teles look through a telescope, you see something really, really far away. But the telescope makes it look like it's really, really, really close. Some prophecies in the Bible are a bit like that. So you see this prophecy fulfilled in Solomon immediately up close. But it's really also talking about a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled later on further down the road. Most of Hebrew prophecy is what they call cyclical. It's not, here's the prophecy, that's when it's going to happen. No, it's here's the prophecy, and it's going to happen there. But then a little later, it's going to happen again, but in another way. And in another, it's going to happen again. It's cyclical in that sense. Hopefully those that describing two things quite complicated. <clears throat> so he says, he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish, notice, the throne of his kingdom forever. So it can't just be Solomon, at least referencing him. And your house and your kingdom, two things, shall be made sure Forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. Now, I've drawn out just a couple things. Listen to the message that the pastor E preached. It was back in um, January 2015. Absolutely like, smashed, like licked the ball out of the park. Listen to it, it'll fill all the gaps that I didn't. Two things. This house, it's a kingdom that is it's a royal house or a dynasty. But it's also a house that is a brick-built building. Literally... And metaphorically. It's a building made with hands. Built by David's son Solomon. But it's a building not made with hands. Built by David's other son Jesus. Ultimately it's going to be a spiritual building. A temple. And I'm just going to show you a few verses. And I'm going to wrap up. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 3. Wow. Listen to this. Now this is reference in the church. Right? Jesus is the foundation, right? And we are <laughs> built up together. We make up a spiritual house in conjunction with Christ. So you want to be safe? Remember, you need to be in the church. That's his safe place in Christ, right? Look, for we are God's fellow workers. Great. Like Pastor E said at the beginning of the service, we're an army, we're a bride, you know what I'm saying? But we're also a building. Look, you are God's, you are God's building, verse 15. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. 
You know, a lot of people are getting excited about the building being re re rebuilt in Israel, in Jerusalem. That can be a bit of a distraction because if Jesus says, I'm now the temple and you need to be in me, you're going to get overexcited about a building. Guy. I mean, it might look nice, but that's not the, f the fundamental fulfillment of that prophecy. We are, so look, we are God's building, right? Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You see that? And listen to the building metaphor continue. Matthew 16, classic. Can you quote it before I even put it up? Jesus says, I will what? I will build. How many of you know that's progressive over a process of time? He's going to build it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. Now, 1 Peter 2, I started to quote it. He says, as you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone. Is it literal? Mm, it's metaphoric. A living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. See? You've got, God's, you've, got, you've, got, you've got the choice of men, but then you've got God's choice. And often God will reject our choice. We need to agree with his selected choice. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, we could even go as far to say that the house that God would eventually build was the church. And it's not a strange concept, biblically speaking. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen makes reference to the church that was in the wilderness, God's people. And this group of people fundamentally ought to have been governed by God. And the story of the Bible is God working at getting a people that would be called by his name, that would reflect his image, and that would look to the ultimate king that was represented poorly, but in some ways quite helpfully by David, even by Saul being the antithesis of the, the coming king. But individuals that would have Jesus as the king who like Solomon would build God's temple, but not with bricks and mortar. He would do so with people. Does that make sense? I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come and join me. I think this is a good place to stop. And as they're coming, I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 4. Do you remember I said to you at the beginning, bear in mind this anointed business. This person, this king is anointed. And why throughout the whole of Jewish history were the kings anointed? Well, it was pointing to a particular king, a fundamentally, a final king. It says in Luke 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, another backwater, where he had been brought up. Because Nazareth is the place where they say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know what I mean? 
It's, it's not like well, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. <clears throat> he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, you've got to see the, the scene. The scene is like us here. You come, like it's, like we come, it's church, Sunday, we come together. That's what it was like for them. They were in a synagogue on a Saturday, Sabbath, right? And Jesus stands up to read. And as he reads, they're feeling like, oh, it's like Pastor E or Pastor Rob get up, going to read the text and then preach it, because that's what they would do. But look what Jesus then goes on to say. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has what? Anointed me to do something. That is to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me. It's, it's really crazy because you think about a king and all that would describe a king. Right? Listen to this. He says, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What kind of king, you know what I'm saying, do people really need? He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. Now remember, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. It took place years before his time, let alone before our time. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, waiting for him to expand the text and preach it. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Shortest sermon, boy. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. One sentence message, Pastor E. Maybe one day we'll get this. <laughs> no, I'm not you. I mean me. I mean both of us. Boy. You're, just, you're just as bad as me. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from out of his mouth. And they said, but wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Is this not Joseph's son? We know him, you. All the people that I've mentioned before, oh, it must be him. He, look, he looks like a Samson. He must be the guy. You know what I'm saying? All of the guys that you think are the guy are not the guy. And then here he's the guy and you don't think he's the guy. It's amazing. Talk about the, talk about the greatest story ever told. You've got 39 chapters that lead up to this. 40 if you want to include Matthew, Mark. Oh, 41. And here he comes. Is not this Joseph's son? And if you know anything about your, what do, you, what do they call the section of the names? Thank you. The gene, if you know anything about your genealogy, you know if you look at the genealogy and you go backwards, isn't this Joseph's son, who's the son of, I think, Healy, who's the son of this one, who's the son of that one, who's the son of David, son of Jesse, who's the son of her, is the son of this one, is the son of Abraham. Who's the son of her? the son of her? I can't remember them. Especially going backwards. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? He's the son of Adam, who is the son of God. He's the one that we've been waiting for. Jesus is the king. And to, and to really mess up, you know what I'm saying, what anybody could have thought 
especially as you, I mean, talk about drama. You're watching the film, you're like, oh my gosh, what, this is the king. It's him. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph. Okay, then, well, let's see him go and take the throne then. But the thing is, he goes in the opposite direction. He doesn't go, he doesn't advance toward the throne and, you know what I'm saying? He goes in the opposite direction because he, he, he hasn't come to, to take the, he's just come from the throne. He's come to go to the cross. And that's the means through which he's going to set those who are liberty, those who are oppressed free and provide liberty. That's how he's going to provide recovery of sight to those who are blind. Through the cross. I mean, talk about a script. Talk about twists and turns. No wonder like people struggled to figure out who Jesus was and even follow him. People had to follow him by faith because so much of it never made sense. Where does it say... Where, People were under the impression that Jesus was from Nazareth. And he was. Jesus of this, the film says it, right? Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he grew up, but where was he born? The scribes and the Pharisees were looking at him saying, this can't be, this, how can he be the one? Nothing good comes from out of Nazareth, i.e. he was born in Nazareth. Guess what? Newsflash, he weren't born in Nazareth. Where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem, which is in the land of Judah. And Joseph, you trace his lineage back, Joseph's dad and all of his forefathers come from the line of the tribe of Judah. But they never knew that. So when he goes to the throne, this don't make no sense. Jesus isn't... <clears throat> He's not come to reign. He's going to the cross, at least in terms of his first coming. At his second coming, everything that we know and think about king and ruling and reigning and thrones and gleam and, and conquering, you know what I'm saying? It will be fully completed and fulfilled at that point. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.